Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with the president of Columbus Realtors about the local housing market. Then in about 15 minutes, I'll speak with the head of the Annie E. Casey Foundation about an annual report they produce looking at several health-related factors involving children. Then, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS-10TV, Brittany Bailey covers a number of topics, including the signing of the CHIPS Act, which should put Intel into gear on its plans for a computer chip-making operation in New Albany, the signing of the Inflation Reduction Act and its impact on Medicare, and the signing of the PACT Act to help ill military veterans, its legislation with a strong local connection. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with a doctor from the American Lung Association about teens and vaping. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me, Sue Van Workham, who is the president of Columbus Realtors. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me today, Dave. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us what Columbus Realtors is. Columbus Realtors is a trade association of about 9,500 members, and our job is to facilitate doing business in the Columbus real estate market and help homeowners and buyers do the best they can in this market. That's amazing when you think about it. You know, 9,000 members, and this is a truly important economic driver in central, in any area, but in central Ohio, this is just a huge deal. Absolutely. Every home that is purchased or sold uh, creates jobs through the title business, the home inspection, construction, through zoning, through inspections of the city, Uh, It just, it goes on and on. It really does drive the economy. And we've been hearing for years about how hot the housing market is, and I guess that's continuing. Yes, Columbus, Ohio is still, Central Ohio is still a very hot market. What are you seeing happening right now in Ohio? I see that here in Columbus, the average price is, uh, what is, well over $300,000 now. Yes, the average sales price is about $346,000 right now. And prices rose a little over 10% in July from just one year ago. So we're still a very healthy housing market in, in central Ohio. So we're not slowing down. And I was looking at back in 2016, the average was 202000 Now it's three forty-six, And the median price in 2016, where you had just as many above as below this price, was 170000 now it's 300000 on the nose. Right. Well, I think we have a lot of demand to thank for that and low inventory. Even though our inventory is up about 16%, uh, it is really still high demand here. So we have such great businesses coming in. I think everybody's heard the word Intel, but there are several other companies also that have found Central Ohio to be home. And now we have to find somewhere for everybody to live, which we're going to work diligently to do. The builders are building as quickly as they can. Everyone's suffering from some supply chain issues and some labor shortages, but we're working hard and everybody's working together to get those things resolved. I guess uh, with Intel, you know, that's going to create some real changes in New Albany and Johnstown and uh, Gahanna, Blacklick, all those areas. You've got some places like Gahanna that are a little bit more landlocked in how they can grow. So I I guess it's going to be kind of a challenge going forward. Well, we can grow out and we can grow up and we can grow in density if we need to. So I think our city leaders are looking at all different avenues and you can grow out too. So 
circles the rings of areas that will still service Intel can grow go out pretty far. Like even out to Madison County would be like an hour commute. But maybe that's worth it because the jobs are going to be pretty well paying. Right. And I was looking at your bio, and you live in Madison County and, and, uh, and work up in Worthington, right? Correct. Well, I work in Dublin and all of Central Ohio, really. I think as a realtor, you go where your clients go. So uh, my husband and I just wanted a little more elbow room, so we chose to live out in the country a little further, and that's fine. So we just drive a little bit further to go to work. That's all. Right. So it might even be, I mean, there could even conceivably be people living up toward Mount Vernon to Mansfield in that area that are working at Intel. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. Talking with Suban Workham, she's president of the of Columbus Realtors. So what's going on right now with the mortgage rate, and uh, and what do you expect to happen to that down the line? Well, rates have dropped just a little bit in the recent past, and that has actually opened the doors for a few more buyers. Buyers are having to bring a little less cash to closing, and it's calmed the market a little bit. So some buyers are coming back into the market because they see this as a little less competitive than it was even in the early spring. We're seeing still multiple offers. We're seeing a very short amount of time on the market. Um, Homes spend around 11 days on the market in Franklin County and maybe a little up to 13 days in all of central Ohio, but that's still a short amount of time. So we are seeing buyers start to come back into the market because they know that it's just a hint less competitive. It's still lightning quick, though, isn't it, when you're talking about two weeks or less? It is. It is. Uh, you know, you do have to be able to make a decision fairly quickly. Buyers still want cute, neat, and clean. People are still busy working and living their lives, so not everybody's in the position to pick up a fixer-upper or do a lot of repairs, and sellers need to be aware of that when they're thinking about putting their home on the market. So we're looking at interest rates, uh, I guess, around 5%, and they were, what, about half that at one point when they got to their lowest point, right? Right. Uh, Here in Ohio... A 30-year fix is 4.9%, yeah, right around 5%. Yes, people were getting loans between 2 and 3% uh, just late last year, earlier this year. So I, I would imagine folks are kind of kicking themselves if they were thinking about getting a house and didn't pursue it then, because even just a one-point difference can be significant going forward. Yes, it can be. If you follow an example that was put out by the National Association of Realtors last year, on about a $400,000 house, your payment went up about 50% from last year to this year. Wow. However, your competition dropped, and the amount of money that you have to bring to closing also dropped. So it, it may be, how do you want to structure your financing? Right. Because uh, the Fed is still raising interest rates pretty aggressively, it may be now the best time to get a house as opposed to a year or two from now. Right. We don't know what's going to happen a year or two from now. We do not see anything changing in the central Ohio market in the future, in the near future. We are still low on inventory. Even though inventory has increased, we're still not anywhere near a balanced market. So our demand is going to remain high. So when I hear people say, well, I'm going to wait for prices to go down, okay, it's gone down a little bit in the new build market like $8,000 on average per home, but we don't see anything 
tragic happening in the near future just because our demand is so high and our inventory is so short. Right. So you may you may wait, and even if the price stays even a year or two from now, the interest rate might be a point or two or more higher, which means it'll be more expensive. Right. right. So you may not be able to buy as much as you had hoped. Right. For people who are wanting to buy or sell, uh, if, if they're just now coming to that decision now, what should they be doing to kind of speed that process along and make sure that they've got all their ducks in a row? I would recommend you surround yourself with knowledgeable professionals. Get a good lender, get a good realtor, and get out there now. Because we know what the market's doing right now. We don't know what the market's going to do in six months, a year, two years. We can guess. We don't see anything changing dramatically as far as inventory or availability, you know, or even pricing. I, I, you know, we don't see prices going down, but nobody can guess interest rates from here to there. So we can interpret the, we can interpret the market right now. So if you want to buy or sell right now, it's a great time to get in while you know what's going on. If somebody is uh, maybe thinking about selling their home when maybe a couple of years ago they weren't, and perhaps maybe it's not a fixer-upper necessarily, but it could use some work, but they're just wanting to take advantage of the higher value they can get for it right now and move to another location. Is it less important to have, you know, like a a top-of-the-line, ready-to-move-in place as it was a few years ago? It's just a matter of how you want to structure your finances. You're going to make more if your house is, quote, move-in ready. You're going to make more. You will still be able to sell your house in any condition, but you're going to get more for your home if it's clean and neat and smells good and is ready to move in. So if there are some items you can take care of, we call it deferred maintenance. If you haven't painted the trim and it should have been, if you have some rotted woodwork that should have been replaced and you didn't, you're always going to get more for your house if you go ahead and take care of those maintenance items. What about people who just don't have... You know, maybe there are new home buyers. There's no way they're going to come up with the recommended 20% down on a home. And if they don't really qualify for a lot of the help that might be available, you can still buy a home for a lot less than 20% down, right? Oh, absolutely. You can get in for as little as zero down on certain loan programs. Um, Again, I'm not a mortgage lender, but if you're a veteran or you're buying out in the country, USDA, or there are some community programs that are offered, there's also grant money available at certain times of the year. Uh, There's FHA loans that are 3.5% down. There are other loans that may be as little as 3% down. And uh, we are seeing in the market right now with a little less competitiveness, sellers are starting to offer to help a little bit, depending on the niche of market where you're in. You know, some some areas are still so hot that, you, you know, it's so aggressive in that area, the sellers do not have to offer any help. But there are still some areas where you might be able to get a seller to offer to help with some down payment assistance. Talking with Sue Van Workham, president of Columbus Realtors. So where are the hot locations in central Ohio for the housing market? A lot of communities that are closer into Columbus that are real commutable, the things that you think about, uh, Worthington was just the number three in the nation for the hottest zip code for Realtor.com that surveyed many, many, many areas. So that was really great. You know, people like to live close to schools and shopping and art and community events and parks and all those offerings. And we have so many of those here in central Ohio 
you can just imagine which ones they are, you know, from Grandview to Worthington to Upper Arlington to Bexley to Dublin, uh, just the communities that have so much to offer. And if you talk to people that live in those different communities, they'll tell you how their community is the best. And then you go meet with somebody in Gahanna and they'll tell you Gahanna is the best. <laughs> and Hilliard say, no, 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 Hilliard is the best. And Worthington's like, no, 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 Worthington is the best. And Westerville say, no, 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 we're the best. You know, people in Central Ohio love their communities they live in. We have so many good ones. That's one of the things that's really kind of remarkable about Columbus is that there are, I don't know how many, like six or eight suburbs that are all almost equal in population. They've gotten a little bit more out of balance lately with Dublin growing pretty quickly, but there's a whole bunch of them all around Columbus that have like forty to 45,000 people. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. You're right. That is very coincidental, isn't it? It is. Maybe it's because they're landlocked and there just isn't any more room. <laughs> right. Um, so as we look going forward then with the prices continuing to escalate, can people still anywhere in the area find a house for, you know, under $100,000? It's tough, but you you can find it, but you have to decide what it means for you to live there. That would have been an easy answer, you know, back in 2016 when I said that the average price in Ohio was 160000 in 2016, but now it's 273000 statewide. So 100000 is well below the average and wouldn't have been unusual to find one 10 years ago. Right. And now it's difficult. And if a house is not in good condition, it's difficult to get a lender to lend on it. They are looking at their investments, too. So they don't want to lend on a house that maybe doesn't have flooring or maybe the ceiling has caved in because of a bad water leak. You know, these are what you find in, in the very, very uh, un- homes that are under 100000 sometimes uh, in certain areas. And maybe you've got some homeowners that are very handy and skilled, and they're like, no, 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 we can fix that. That's not a problem. And as soon as we fix it, we're going to have a $190,000 home on our hands. But maybe they don't have $100,000 cash to buy that house. But then you have a lender going, wait a minute. I don't want to make a a loan on a home that's in that condition. Hmm. So you see the conundrum? And we just get in a circle. Yeah. So when you look on uh, websites and you see homes that are either for sale by owner or for sale through a realtor or if it's foreclosed or if it's a short sale, do those mean anything when you're looking for a house and what you should look for? Well, right now, uh, what we call distressed properties for short sales or foreclosed properties only make up about 4% of all the homes on the market. So that's not a lot. Wow. So there's not a lot out there. And then some of the really uh, attainable houses, like the really the ones under 100000 and things like that, if they're in... A, a commutable neighborhood to some big industry or something that's considered uh, desirable near a college or something like that. Those get scooped up by investors that have cash. So a lender isn't involved on that investment and then they get flipped and then they are worth $100,000 more. Right. So if you're a buyer, I guess getting pre-approved, do all the, the, the upfront bank work can put you ahead of some folks that are looking for a house, right? Absolutely. That's what I mean. You have got to get 
good people in your corner to help you make some good decisions. This is not the time to go around and try to figure it all out on your own. Talking with uh, Sue Van Workham, she's the president of Columbus Realtors. Anything else you'd like to add, Sue? I would just like to reiterate this, uh, that please surround yourself with professionals, a professional realtor who knows the market, knows the ins and outs, can protect you and help you get the best value for your hard-earned money, and a lender can help you figure out the best way to structure your finances. Okay, and what's the Columbus Realtors website? It's uh, columbusrealtors.com. Great. Uh, Sue Workham again, president of Columbus Realtors. Thanks so much for your time today. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it, Dave. You have a wonderful day. What is dedication? The thing that drives me every day as a dad is Dariana. We call him uh, Day Day for short. Every day he's hungry for something, whether it's attention, affection, knowledge. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that when he's no longer under my wing, that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. The craziest thing was believing that your dad knew everything. So as a dad, you felt like you had to know everything. You had to get everything right. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then, you know, it kind of starts to work itself out. I want him to be able to sit back one day and go, we worked together, we did a good job. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Lisa Hamilton, who's the president and CEO of the Annie E. Casey Foundation. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us what the Annie E. Casey Foundation is. Uh, Annie Casey Foundation is a national organization focused on improving the lives of children and families. We focus on keeping families together and making them stronger on ensuring families have economic stability and making sure children can grow up in strong neighborhoods. Okay, and you're out with your uh, Kids Count data book. I understand this is your 33rd data book, uh, and uh, what is this about? What are you doing with it? Well, the Kids Count data book presents national and state data on 16 indicators of child well-being across four different domains, economic, education, health and family and community factors so that we know how kids are doing in this country. And we rank the states according to how kids do in each of those indicators. And this year's data book, the good news is that the figures on economic well-being are encouraging. And they show that before the pandemic, conditions were generally improving for a lot of kids. And that um, the child tax credit, which was expanded during the pandemic, helped a lot of families keep food on the table and lights on and a roof over their heads. But we are concerned about a number of the health indicators. Child and teen deaths are up, obesity is up, and more babies are being born at a low birth weight, which can affect them developmentally over time. Um, So these were slight increases, but we need to keep a close eye on these trends. Um, In addition to the data, the book also focuses on the mental health crisis that America's young people are experiencing this year. 
and wanted to call attention to the fact that mental health is just as important as physical health to children's overall well-being. And all of this data and information is provided in the hope that policymakers can take steps to make sure our kids have what they need to succeed. And you rank uh, the states in these reports with economic well-being, education and health and family and community. And it looks like Ohio is kind of in the middle of the road on all these categories. It is. Ohio is ranked 31st. And we see that it um, is um, similar to many of the national indicators and how it is doing. Again, um, we see some positives as it relates to those economic well-being factors um, that I mentioned, um, but certainly concerns about some of the health uh, indicators that we see in the national trends. Some of the numbers that you have in your report are staggering, like 9% of high school kids have attempted suicide. Uh, Obviously, mental well-being is a big concern coming out of the pandemic. It absolutely is an important issue, and that's why we wanted to use this data book to call attention to this crisis. You can't talk about child well-being without considering mental health. And as you note, um, we have seen skyrocketing rates of mental health concerns with young people. Um, Overall, the numbers of young people who um, are reported to be anxious or depressed increased 26%. Uh, at the national level to nearly 12% of young people. And as you noted, um, the number of high schoolers who've attempted suicide um, reached around 9%. um, And it's even higher for young people um, of color or those who might identify as LBGTQ. So this is an extremely important issue that uh, policy policymakers need to pay attention to. um, And uh, there are a number of things they can do to to help address these issues, including making sure kids get their basic needs met because kids need a a stable foundation of food and housing and safe neighborhoods, making sure that mental health services um, where kids need them in places like school and making sure that mental health supports um, take into account young people's experiences and identities, and finally making sure that every child in America has health insurance so their families can afford mental health services. Talking with Lisa Hamilton, president and CEO of the Annie E. Casey Foundation, that last uh, comment you made is what I was going to ask you about. Uh, That is about health insurance. Back in your report said in 2008 to 2012, 8% of kids nationally did not have health insurance. In this new report in Ohio, it's down to just 4% in Ohio that don't have health insurance, which is uh, certainly a positive sign. But but one thing we're hearing is that mental health services, there's a real shortage and a backlog of appointments that can't be met because of uh, the overload of, of the need. Well, we certainly need to make sure that every child in America has health insurance. And we have made tremendous strides on this issue over the last 20 years. As you note, there are now um, single-digit percentages of children who aren't covered, and policymakers should absolutely prioritize making sure all children um, have health care coverage. That's the first step in making sure that children can access providers um, and make sure that their their physical and mental health needs are met. So we provide this data over time and have certainly been encouraged to see the progress the country has made, but there's still more that we can do to make sure our children can thrive.
So will future reports get a better grip on things going through the pandemic? Is some of this uh, information that you're using right now, is it still kind of pre-pandemic or, you know, before the pandemic really had its worst impact on kids? Yes, the data uh, in the data book comes from federal statistical sources like the Census and the National Survey of Children's Health. And we are just starting to get data from the pandemic. The most recent data is from around 2020, just as the pandemic was taking hold. And we will continue to produce the data book so that we can um, see how um, child well-being unfolds over um, subsequent years. It's really going to be interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, especially 2020, that year when the pandemic hit early in in March, the rest of that year was just so chaotic for kids. It is absolutely going to be critical that we look at the data as it unfolds, particularly education data, which was difficult for states um, and the federal government to collect during the pandemic. Um, The data we use and that's collected is an important roadmap for us for how to support kids going forward. So we are looking forward to um, sharing and analyzing the data as it is released in coming years. Lisa, if people want more information, can they find this information online? Yes, um, uh, anyone can access the Kids Count Data Book and lots of information about children and families at our website at www.aecf.org. We hope this year's data book can be a tool to help policymakers and others really prioritize child well-being and especially mental health in their states um, to make sure that all of our children can reach their full potential and thrive. Lisa Hamilton, president and CEO of the Annie E. Casey Foundation. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. (sighs) Crispy. Faded. Lit, baked, toasty, stoned, blazed, zooted. When you're high, there are a lot of ways to say it. But there's only one thing you need to remember. Driving under the influence of marijuana is illegal everywhere. If you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Brittany Bailey from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. I describe the field of dreams on 1,000 acres outside of Columbus, Ohio, where America's future will be built. Intel. Intel in Ohio is moving forward now that President Biden signed the CHIPS Act. The official groundbreaking in Licking County was postponed until that bill passed. Thanks so much for joining us for Face the State. I'm Brittany Bailey in for Tracy Townsend. All right now, some work is already being done nearby to get the site ready for those two plants. We're told Intel has a meeting with the Ohio Environmental Protection Agency in a few weeks. Company leaders will ask for a permit to build that 
that facility, which may cause some air pollution. Intel CEO released a statement after the bill's signing that reads in part, Intel is committed to restoring end-to-end -end leadership, innovation, and manufacturing here in the U.S. We are doing our part, and the federal government has now done their part. Now, to put this into perspective, 30 years ago, the U.S. made 40% of the world's microchips. Today, it's less than 10%. The $50 billion CHIPS Act will not get us to number one overnight, but leaders in the Biden administration say what it will start doing is reducing our dependence on foreign countries for chips that we use in everything from our cars to our missiles. But the high amount of money is getting some pushback. 10TV's Kevin Landers spoke with a White House senior advisor about that. So people will ask, you know, why are multi-billion dollar companies getting this kind of a, a handout from the government? Why aren't they paying, paying their own fair share of this? Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't characterize it as, as a handout. I would characterize it as a partnership uh, in the bipartisan infrastructure law. We're investing in roads and bridges and airports and ports and waterways. And it is the government in partnership with the private sector targeting their investments that actually help make America's lives better, lower the cost, and protect our national security. Now that Intel has its money, the bigger question is, where will it find all of the workers to staff those two plants? 10TV's Kevin Landers explains. Intel is betting on Ohio to provide enough workers to manufacture its microchips when the site becomes active sometime in 2025. And the pressure is on for Ohio's colleges and universities to deliver those workers. It is pressure. But John Barry is president of Central Ohio Technical College. He says he's trying to anticipate a flood of students into his engineering labs. With the CHIPS Act passing and knowing that the investment that they're planning to make within Central Ohio would quadruple, that means to quadruple the pipeline expectations. The enrollment numbers are already on the rise at COTC. The college says students seeking full associate degrees or short-term degrees has jumped 69% from August of last year. Its engineering technology program went from eight students to 85 this year, a 963% increase. When they talk about this first initial 3,000 individuals that they're hiring for their first opening with the two fabs themselves, 70% of those individuals will be at the associate's degree level. COTC has a campus in Pataskala just 10 minutes from the Intel campus, and there is talk of expanding its engineering labs to accommodate more students. And Intel has been very good about saying, look, we need an educated workforce. Which puts pressure on Ohio's colleges and universities to attract more people into the engineering field. With the CHIPS Act passing, Intel now has the money to expand beyond just two fabrication plants, and it will need more workers to fill them. It is, it is a bit of pressure. You are absolutely right about that, Kevin, but it is one that we're very excited to produce. That was Kevin Landers reporting, and President Barry did tell Kevin that with the signing of the CHIPS Act, you will see colleges and universities across Ohio promoting Intel on their websites, encouraging more students to look at engineering as a career. Well, Intel also will have a big impact on businesses and restaurants in the area. We stopped by Eagle's Pizza in New Albany. With more people moving into that area, workers tell us they think they'll need to hire more workers to keep up with demand. We do a lot as is, and some days, like, maybe slow, but it might not be slow anymore. Eagle's Pizza also has opened a new location in Johnstown, which will be impacted by Intel moving in as well.
That applause on the Senate floor came after Democrats passed the multi-billion dollar Inflation Reduction Act. Ohio's U.S. Senators voted along party lines. The bill could have major implications for health care, climate change and inflation. And this is not the end. Let's take a closer look now at the Inflation Reduction Act. It does include a record $370 billion in climate and energy investments. It allows Medicare to negotiate the cost of prescription drugs. And it could lower the deficit by $300 billion. It's all paid for by a 15% minimum tax on corporations and increased IRS enforcement. Experts say we likely will not see how this bill affects the economy until next year. Inflation is still at a 40-year high. But experts believe the bill could slow demand by cutting deficit spending and soothing supply chain backlog. Climate provisions in the bill could help people to cut energy costs. Some may be eligible for tax breaks on clean home energy. Now, Democrats wanted to use the bill to cap insulin prices at $35 per month, but the GOP blocked that plan. This all comes as thousands of Americans are having to choose between buying food and buying medicine. We checked in with Life Care Alliance. The folks there say the average person spends four to $500 on insulin each month. That's about five times higher compared to prices back in 2017. So we need uh, some sort of system where insulin is available to people at a reasonable cost. And uh, we hope the lawmakers can come up with that. Life Care Alliance is working to offer other resources to offset the cost of insulin for some Ohioans. If you are worried you might be diabetic, you can reach out to the organization to be matched with a medical expert for free. There are claims that the Inflation Reduction Act includes a massive cut to Medicare. Casey Decker with our Verify National team explains that is not what the bill does. For two years, Democrats have been working to pass legislation to achieve their goals on economic health and climate policy. The Senate has just finally done so, passing the Inflation Reduction Act. Ads attacking the bill have already hit airwaves, like this one sent to us by a Verify viewer in Georgia. Washington liberals like Raphael Warnock say their partisan spending bill lowers seniors' drug costs, when actually it cuts nearly $300 billion from Medicare. So is that true? Does the Inflation Reduction Act cut billions of dollars from Medicare? To verify, we looked at the text of the bill, the analysis of the bill by the Congressional Budget Office, and we went to sources specializing in health and budget policy. All our sources confirmed this bill, as written, does not cut any funding to Medicare. What it aims to do is actually save Medicare money by reducing how much it pays out to drug companies. It does this in three ways. The first is to give the federal government the authority to negotiate with drug companies over how much it'll pay for certain Medicare-covered drugs. The second way is to institute a cap on how much drug companies are allowed to raise the prices they charge Medicare each year. And the third way, undoing a Trump-era rule that banned drug makers from giving discounts to insurers in order to keep their products on the insurer's list of approved drugs. The Trump administration saw those discounts as kickbacks, but proponents of the new bill say they're an important way of cutting drug prices. According to the Congressional Budget Office, all that adds up to nearly $300 billion in savings for Medicare over the next nine years. But it's cost savings, not budget cuts. In fact, the text of the Senate bill includes billions in new spending for Medicare. 
AARP calls the claims the legislation would cut Medicare a lie, saying, quote, this bill saves Medicare nearly $300 billion by lowering the price of drugs. Only drug companies would say that saving people money is a bad thing. The nonpartisan Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget made similar statements, calling the advertisements misleading attacks. All that means we can verify, no, the Inflation Reduction Act does not cut billions of dollars from Medicare. With your Verify, I'm Casey Decker. Ohio gubernatorial candidate Nan Whaley made a stop in Columbus to hold a roundtable with black small business owners. Whaley stopped at a cut-above-the-rest barber shop and discussed with these business owners how the state can better help them grow their businesses and create jobs. Whaley says these kinds of businesses are the lifeblood of a city. The small businesses that invest in a neighborhood make a big difference to the quality of life, create vibrancy in the community, and can make the biggest difference on really growing uh, a neighborhood. And Cut Above is exactly that example. It has been a long time coming for veterans. The PACT Act is now law. Hear from the Ohio wife who was by the president's side when he signed the bill. And see the new technology used to solve one local cold case and potentially two more. A new report shows overdose deaths are down in Franklin County, but health experts say that is not enough. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Brittany Bailey, courtesy of 10TV. This law is long overdue, but we finally got it done together. It's a major move to protect U.S. veterans. President Biden signed the PACT Act. It expands health care benefits for millions of veterans who returned home from war and got sick. During the president's signing, an Ohio woman was right by his side. The legislation is named after her husband, who died of cancer after being exposed to toxic burn pits. 10TV's Olivia Eugenio spoke with her one-on-one about what this means to her. At the hand of the president is young Brielle Robinson, a gift, but a gift that comes at an emotional cost. It's been a very emotional ride today, knowing, you know, that Heath wasn't here with us, but we're honoring him today. Danielle Robinson and her daughter Brielle joined the president for the signing of the PACT Act, legislation that will expand federal health care services for millions of veterans exposed to toxic burn pits. Veterans like Danielle's husband. He entered in shortly after 9-11. Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson served in the Ohio National Guard, serving tours in Kosovo and Iraq. I asked Heath, I said, were you around burn pits in Iraq? And he said, yeah, I was actually had guard duty outside of the one about 20 yards from the burn pit for three months in my deployment. And that was the first I had ever heard that he was around a burn pit. The 39-year-old Pickerington man died in 2020 after battling cancer for three years. Danielle is here with us tonight. Danielle has been pushing for the PACT Act alongside President Biden since she was a guest at the State of the Union. You know, we're honored to um, be a huge part of this, but 
we, I can't help but think about all the families that are so deserving of being in this position that we're technically in. But for her and her daughter, Danielle says she knows their veteran was with them all day long. I get emotional thinking of it. Um, she just had a very, very wonderful day being able to at least celebrate him and and everything that this film means to so many veterans across our nation. That was Olivia Eugenio reporting. A Columbus nurse who has been behind this fight for years also was in Washington, D.C. for that bill signing. It feels really good to have it signed into law, being someone who's still sick. Uh, it's concerning for me to make sure that my family has what they need when I can't provide it anymore. Paul McMillan works for a Columbus area hospital. He served in Iraq from 2001 to 2008 and was exposed to toxic burn pits. After his time in the Army and National Guard, he was diagnosed with pneumonia. He was in the ICU and needed surgery. He's now facing long-term health issues with expensive treatment, but this act now covers that cost for him. I would like to be able to not have to balance, do I want to have a home or do I want to pay for treatments for something? Um, But it's not just about me. This is happening everywhere. With that act signed, he can now get that crucial treatment covered. New technology helped to solve a cold case in Franklin County, and investigators believe the suspect could be tied to other cases. 10TV's Lacey Crisp walks us through the decades of history that led up to this point. Technology that didn't even exist when these crimes occurred have helped solve two cases. BCI says familial DNA has linked two homicide cases. I just want to know that she's smiling down and happy that this day has come. It's been a long time coming. Regina Dawson's mom, Michelle, was found dead on the side of the road in Licking County near Granville in 1996. Though Robert Edwards has not been charged with this case yet, investigators say it's similar to Alma Lake's rape and murder. Clearly, uh, from what you guys have read, had a reckless, violent past in that era of his life. And so it's it's not unreasonable to believe that he may be responsible for other cases. Lake's body was found in June 1991 on the side of Craig and Olive Streets in Urbancrest. The Franklin County Sheriff's Office says familiar DNA linked Edwards to both murder victims. Are you currently looking at potential other cases involved with this gentleman? Without going into details, we're going to leave no stone unturned with the suspect that was arrested for this case. BCI's cold case unit was created two years ago, but in that short time frame, investigators have brought 25 cold cases to prosecution, and they say more arrests like Edwards could happen soon. He lived 30 years of his life, over 30, actually over 31 years of his life. And wouldn't you think that you got away with it too after 30 years? Sergeant Mickey Casper's dad was the lieutenant on the original homicide scene and says he's proud to help solve the case, but he attributes the arrest to... DNA. DNA. To technology and hard work. BCI staff. BCI staff got us here. And then the only thing we had to do was go do a trash pull do some stuff like that, then uh, interview the suspect. Though it may have taken more time than she'd hoped, Regina says she's relieved to get some answers. 
Oh, I heard Sam Cooke singing in my head. It's a long time coming. <laughs> the sheriff's office is asking any other county in this state, if you have a similar crime, reach out to them. There could be other cases. In Franklin County, Lacey Crisp, 10TV News. Now, Edwards is set to be arraigned in court soon. 10TV will let you know when that happens. New data from the Franklin County Coroner's Office shows the number of overdose deaths in Franklin County is down slightly compared to last year. But when you compare that number to 2019, it's still up significantly. In 2018, there were 509 deaths. In 2019, there were 556. But look at that jump in 2020. 859 overdose deaths were reported. And in 2021, it's still high at 825 overdoses. 89% of those deaths in 2021 were caused by fentanyl. That's up from 2017 when it was at 76 percent. Well, finally, the zip codes in Franklin County with the highest number of overdose deaths. Most were on the west side, south side and north side of Columbus. Ten Investigates actually did more digging into this issue. We requested the number of Narcan runs in Columbus or calls where a life-saving drug was used to save someone from an overdose. Between January 21, 2021 rather, and June of this year, we found there were more than 4,000 incidents where Narcan was administered. In 2021, that adds up to an average of 8.6 incidents per day. So let's talk about resources now. 10TV reached out to Adam H. about that report. And while we did see a decrease from last year, that number we're seeing is still discouraging. Overall, as we have been responding to the opiate epidemic and this crisis that is before us, it's, the numbers are staggering. One life lost is too many. Adam H. leaders say funding to prevent and educate the public on these dangers is crucial. There are classes you can take to learn how to save a life. Adam H. also has more than 30 providers every day responding to treatment services, prevention, detox, and recovery. Right now, there are currently 59 NALOX boxes in Franklin County. They are free to the public to use in the case of an emergency. The Ohio Department of Health is counting fewer COVID-19 cases. So what does this mean heading into back to school season? Plus, we have an update on the monkeypox vaccine supply issues. Find out just how many doses are coming here to Ohio. I will always love you. And the queen of country made a stop in our state. She was here to promote a program that will help some of the youngest Ohioans. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities. He's been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives. But he was there beside me. And my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. 
Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Brittany Bailey, courtesy of 10TV. Right now, two viruses are spreading in Ohio. We're talking about monkeypox and COVID-19. Now, when it comes to COVID-19, 10TV's Kiana Deitches talked with doctors about where things stand right now. Across Ohio, COVID hospitalizations and ICU admissions remain relatively low. It appears that the modest surge in cases recently caused by the Omicron subvariants BA4 and BA5 may have hit its peak or at least leveled off. If you're younger than 60 in good health and vaccinated, doctors say your likelihood of developing severe illness is low. But staying up to date on vaccinations as we head into fall are important. We have uh, many people in Ohio who have underlying medical conditions, who may be of advanced age, uh, who in fact are vaccinated and yet still this virus poses some risk. And for those individuals, we really do strongly recommend uh, watching the CDC community levels map and wearing a um, substantial, preferably N95 or KN95 type mask. As the school year looms, a big shift from the health department. Schools will no longer be required to report positive COVID-19 cases unless the school tests the students themselves. But sick weeks will be sticking around. Students stay home from school for five days when they're ill and test positive for COVID-19. That was Kiana Deitches reporting. Well, here's a question for you. How do you know if you're up to date on your COVID vaccinations? Well, the CDC has a tool online that is helpful. We put a link on our website at 10tv.com slash featured links. Monkeypox is spreading through Ohio. This week, the number of cases jumped dramatically. Right now, the vaccine is being mainly offered to men in the LGBTQ plus community. We talked with one man who recently got the shot in Columbus. He says it's important to recognize that monkeypox could reach any community. Public health officials are trying to get the um, they're trying to get the message out to those most at risk, and um, unfortunately, comes with some of the, the stereotypes that. Uh, that folks believe of our community, which just aren't true. In the coming weeks, Ohio is expected to receive 13,000 monkeypox vaccine doses. You can check Columbus Public Health social media pages for updates on the next clinic. Just as a reminder, here are the symptoms of monkeypox, fever, headache, and muscle aches. But the biggest indicator is a rash that can look like blisters. Also, the virus can spread with direct contact with an infection. Health experts also are encouraging those who test positive to avoid pets. Ohio now has an official day to celebrate Dolly Parton. The famous singer made a stop in central Ohio. She was here to celebrate the Imagination Library. It's an early childhood reading program that Dolly started in honor of her late father. Even if you can't afford to go to college or to go to school like my dad, if if you can read, you can self-educate yourself. And so that's kind of what we're hoping, to just teach kids to read and to learn to love books. 10TV's Angela Ann emceed that event, and through the Imagination Library, Governor Mike DeWine tells us 325,000 children in Ohio will get one free book a month in the mail. Now, if you have not signed up yet, we did post a link for you on 10TV.com. Just look for this story. 
Well, thank you all so much for being here with us today. Remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state. That's again Brittany Bailey, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. You want to feel important. You want to be a part of something bigger, something that matters and can help change things. You want to feel like you belong. We know. We felt that way, too. And that's why we did something about it. We aren't just Army National Guard soldiers. We are normal people just like you. And together, we can make a difference. Take on your legacy. Visit NationalGuard.com to find out more. Sponsored by the Ohio Army National Guard. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. At Social Security, we are always thinking of ways to save you time and make things easier. That's why we created My Social Security. Opening a My Social Security account gives you secure access to your personal record and interactive tools tailored for you. You can see if you are eligible to receive benefits, view spousal benefit estimates, and compare retirement benefit estimates at different ages or dates when you want to start receiving benefits. Already receiving benefits? Use your account to change your address, set up or change direct deposit, get a proof of income letter, and more. In most states, you can also request a replacement Social Security card. Save time. Go online. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash myaccount. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Dr. Albert Rizzo, American Lung Association Chief Medical Officer. How are you? Very good, thank you. Thanks for talking to us today. We're going to talk about a new effort aimed at educating kids about vaping. That's right. First of all, tell us the issue of uh, vaping and kids. How big of a problem is it, and what is the problem? Well, the problem is unfortunately been growing in the last several years. Numbers show that between 2016 and, and 2020, uh, there was a 73% increase in the number of children smoking, and there's over 2 million who currently use e-cigarettes. And the concern is that uh, individuals who use e-cigarettes are more likely, three times more likely to become addicted to nicotine as they grow up uh, and more likely to try traditional cigarettes, which is certainly one of the things the American Lung Association is really worried about as far as a new generation of uh, tobacco users. These days, is that the, the primary way that kids begin experimenting? Do they try vaping before regular cigarettes these days? Yeah, for, for a number of reasons. Certainly the vape the rules around vape uh, acquisition are a little bit less stringent than uh, tobacco. Uh, there's certainly a lot more peer pressure in the uh, schools to use vaping. Uh, and really, we're targeting the uh, 10 to 14-year-olds, uh, more like middle school areas, because we know that uh, that's where the parents can really be a lot more influential Uh, And our whole campaign is really aimed at parents of those ages, kids, uh, to talk to them about vaping. Do the Vape Talk is really a way to try to initiate a dialogue between them, hopefully before uh, they think about uh, trying a a vaping uh, device. And a lot of the battle these days has been over the flavored vaping uh, cartridges, right? Because the kids are attracted to those. Yep, 85% of them 
uh, use the flavored uh, devices. And that's even among adults has been uh, for years. We've known things like menthol and other flavors are attractive, but certainly in the child, child age group, uh, those kind of very tricky flavors and funny names uh, are very attractive. There, but there is, uh, at least uh, f- for advocates of vaping, there's those who say that for adults, it, it does help them, uh, help wean them off cigarettes, it, which can be a good thing. Or is, is that still kind of being studied and not, we're not sure yeah, about that's, it? Yeah, that's mainly something pushed by the vaping industry. There's very, very little, if any, good studies to show that it makes people quit. Often people end up being dual users of both cigarettes and uh, vaping devices. And from the American Lung Association standpoint, that's not quitting. We want to uh, quit, not switch. Uh, So certainly staying off vaping uh, devices is still number one uh, priority. Talking with Dr. Albert Rizzo from the uh, American Lung Association. So what is this educational campaign that you're undertaking? Well, there's a series of uh, assets that really look at increasing the dialogue between children uh, and their parents. And we're using uh, social media uh, you may have heard of something called the floss dance or uh, Russell Hornig, the backpack kid from social media. Uh, we're trying to get parents to engage with those children who uh, use things like social media to engage with other individuals and other topics. So the, the tape, tape uh, talk uh, assets really are a way for parents to start uh, that dialogue. Kids, I guess, you know, they, they feel invincible, so they, uh, they, I guess they, they don't have any worries about this kind of stuff unless uh, they get the Correct. proper message. Yeah, there's no question that the, uh, the emissions from a, a vaping device are harmful, cause irreversible lung damage. We already mentioned the fact that nicotine is an addicting substance, uh, and some individuals, because of the vaping devices, have had nicotine overdoses, which would cause seizures and other problems. Uh, and certainly uh, the developing brain is affected by uh, the emissions from uh, vaping cigarettes. So that age group is certainly vulnerable to uh, issues around uh, development of brain, cognition, concentration. Where do you see this fight going? Is vaping eventually going to be outlawed or or just more restricted or what? Well, we continue to work with the FDA to try to improve the regulation on vaping. Uh, Certainly getting rid of flavored uh, devices is is a first step. Uh, More and more education around uh, the, the hazards of vaping uh, so it's very similar to the, the uh, fight we've had with uh, big tobacco over the years with adults. And certainly we've decreased the number of adult smokers over the years. But we just, like I mentioned before, we don't want a new generation of individuals starting to smoke because they were exposed to vaping during their middle school years. A couple of years ago, there were people who were dying who were apparently getting vaping cartridges off the street, black market, that were that had some sort of stu- su- harmful substance in them. Whatever happened with that right. story? Well, that uh, that was called Evali, e-cigarette vaping-induced uh, lung injury. Uh, it still exists. It's not as uh, heard about as much as before, uh, probably for a number of reasons. People uh, did think it was related to some contaminated um, cartridges, but really we don't even know what's in vaping cigarettes today. There's nothing that says manufacturers have to list what's in their vaping cartridges. But the uh, the CDC and FDA still monitor for those cases of Evali that could occur. It just is not as uh, prominent as it was. I think like a lot of things, COVID took center stage, uh, and that's when some of these things became less apparent and less reported on. Reported on. Has COVID complicated uh, any uh, problems associated with vaping? Uh, the main thing it's pr- been a problem with is getting accurate data around what's going on, not only just around vaping, but around you know, screening for lung cancer, screening for other cancers, uh, going to physicians' offices. Data is affected by the fact that individuals stay at home. 
They avoided social settings and they avoided going to the physician's office for, for a number of reasons. Uh, so COVID has put a dent in our ability to get accurate information. Talking with Dr. Albert Rizzo, American Lung Association Chief Medical Officer. Where can folks find out more about this campaign and vaping in general? Well, lung.org is always a good place to start. That's the American Lung Association's uh, website. Uh, hashtag do the vape talk is another uh, uh, handle that can be used. Uh, but um, the American Lung Association website is a great place to start. Okay, Dr. Rizzo, anything else you'd like to add? Just uh, for parents to be more educated about this and not be afraid to talk to their children about it. Not everybody um, you know, has a perfect child that doesn't want to get peer pressure and stress, so have them uh, talk to you before they think about trying vaping. Dr. Albert Rizzo, Chief Medical Officer for the American Lung Association. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for the opportunity. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM, Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.